0: Look at the um, scripture there on the front. This is John chapter 17. We're looking at verses 13 through 19. Uh, This is a portion of the high priestly prayer of Jesus, the prayer he prayed before he went to the cross. Um, We're going to read just a few verses of it. I like it when you read out loud with me together. So let's read God's word together. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So there's two words today that I I want us to get a hold of. So I'm going to say the words, I'm going to get you to repeat them. The first word is the same word we had last week, and it's the word mission. Would you just say mission? All right, can you, can you look at somebody else, point your finger at them and go, mission. mission. All right, because uh, if, you're, if you're spiritually awake today, the Holy Spirit is pointing a finger at your heart. And he's saying mission. He's saying, I have a mission for you. And the second word is not even a word at all. I heard someone else use it. They made it up, but it's, it's perfect for today. Okay, it's the word sentness. Okay? Sentness. Alright? It's not even a word, but it is perfect. Here's the deal Jesus in this prayer to his father. This is Jesus praying to his father. He's not preaching a sermon. He's revealing his heart to his father. Do you know what he cares about in this whole prayer? That he has completed his mission. And that he has given his mission to others. You might say, where's mission in this in this prayer? Well, it's the word sent. You see, mission is from the Latin word missio, which means to send. And here's what here's the heart of Jesus's words in this prayer. Verse 18, as the father sent me, so I am sending them, which is you. So there is this mission, there is this idea of sentness. Now, when, when you start to realize that your mission, and you, and you take this up, and, and you make it a reality, and say, you know what, my mission is the same as Jesus' mission. Then you, then you begin to look a little more closely at, okay, what was, what was Jesus saying to the Father who sent him? What was Jesus saying was the mission that he accomplished? Well, it was two things. The first was he was showing forth who the Father is. He's showing forth the glory of God. He's showing forth the reality of God. If you were around Jesus, you were around God. He was the manifest presence of God. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't just to say, hey, there's a God. Jesus came revealing the truth that every human being needs to be saved. Saved from themselves, saved from hell. Saved from eternal judgment, punishment, saved from judgment, saved from this evil world. That there was a need to be converted. There is a need to be saved. Nothing gets us in more trouble, it seems, in our society than the fact that we are saying people are lost. And they are in need of a savior. But here's the thing. Very few people would get upset if a doctor says you're sick. And in need of healing. I was watching a movie the other day. And there's a bad guy and a good guy. I like movies where there are bad guys and good guys. I don't like movies where you don't know who the good guys are. And everybody's bad. You know, I like good guys, bad guys. So there's a good guy and there's a bad guy. They're sitting at a table. The good guy has his wife at the table. The bad guy starts hitting on his wife. That's one way you know he's a bad guy. So he starts hitting on on, on the wife. Well, the the good guy uses this to go and save the world while the bad guy is distracted with his wife. But So the wife is looking into the eyes of this bad guy, and immediately the wife, who is a doctor, says, how long have you had cirrhosis of the liver? And begins to talk with him about treatment options and, and what kind of medicines he's taking. You see... When you know what the sickness is, you can't help but see it in the eyes of others. And especially, friends, when you know you had that sickness. When you know that you had a terminal spiritual disease. And you know who healed you of that terminal spiritual disease. And you see it in your family, you can't keep quiet. No more than a doctor could say, oh, you don't have anything when they know you do. And we begin to prescribe a course of treatment. You know who the healer is. You know he can cure spiritual cancer. You know he can take away terminal spiritual diseases. You know that he's the resurrection and the life. How can you keep quiet about it? When you look into the eyes who have the same disease you've been healed from. The same death that you've been raised from. How can you not share that? With those that you love. Some people say this is incredibly narrow. Yes. There's some sense in which you never have power until things narrow. You know, when there's a wide, wide uh, river, it, it's not as powerful as when you start focusing all that current into small places. And you begin to realize that intensity is—it has a certain narrowness to it. And there's an intensity to love. There's an intensity to love that it is narrow. I want you saved. It's intense in me. I want you in heaven. It's intense in me. You can call it narrow, but for me it's intensity. It's passion. It's when I see the death in someone's eyes, I want to see life. Because I know where that life can be found. I mean... Even a, even in a physical way, when I see the sick, I want them healed. When I see the broken, I want to see them healed. When I see the those who are killing themselves with their own stupidity, I want to see them saved. Well, I mean, if you think about it, in terms of the mission of Jesus. You know, to be on mission with Jesus, and, and truthfully, friends, when you start hanging around with Jesus, he's on mission. You're either going to be on mission with him or you're not going to hang around him long. He's on mission. And one of the things that you begin to realize is he's got what the people in your life need. Now, if you know that this is what they need, then then there's some aspect of you where if you love them. You're going to give them what they need, even if they don't want it. Because you love them, you will say, you, you have to have this. Either that or you don't really believe what, what you have is enough for them. If you believe that what you have will change their lives, then how can you keep it to yourself? Or if you believe and you say this is the truth, but you don't care about people, then that's a horrible dynamic. You know, Jonah in the Old Testament, was given a mission by, by God to go and to preach salvation to the Ninevites. He knew that he even says at one point, I knew what was going to happen if I went there and I didn't want these people to repent. So one of the reasons Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh wasn't because he was afraid to be a missionary. He, didn't, he knew the truth he had was effective. He didn't want them to be saved. So he went the opposite direction, thinking if he stalled long enough, God would blow him away and wouldn't, they wouldn't be saved. I mean, how can we be those kind of people who know the truth that we have is spiritual dynamite, it's spiritual uh, healing, it's spiritual cure? Unless we just don't care. I think I did. I might have done that. I have a very magnetic personality. Here's the thing. When you begin to operate in your own life, this thing's going to go in and out on me. Where's the other one? Let's switch. Shut this one off. You know, you got this. Okay. You know, usually when this happens, you win Miss America. <laughs> if you ever watch the ones that the mics go out, okay, never. Mind. I digress. <laughs> My wife is laughing at me. She is not laughing with me. She is laughing at me. <laughs> All right, let's, let, me think, let me have you think through this with me. See, number one, if you have become a true recipient, a recipient of, the, of the manifest love of Christ in your life, if, if you have truly been healed from your heart sickness, if you are a new person in Christ, how can you keep that to yourself? And, 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 and it is so reorienting. Uh, see, when I, when I first sensed a call to, to be a pastor, to be in ministry, I was, I was just a kid. I was 12, 13 years old. I, I, I was from a dysfunction, broken family. My own heart, my soul was fragmented and fractured and broken. And when I went into ministry, I went in because helping people made me feel better about myself. And so in a way, I was trying to fix myself by fixing other people. And so as I, you know, as I began to preach or I began to teach, and because I like doing this and it kind of comes naturally to me, and people would start to respond in ways. And I would begin to feel a sense of worth. I would begin to feel a sense of significance. And then I would start thinking, well, how can I like, get them to delight in me? How can I get them to like me more? And it became such a goal and a trap for, for people to like what I was doing and how I was doing it and to respond to me and to tell me, uh, you know, how, how special I was. My brokenness was making me pursue in ministry people's approval in order to have worth. In a way, I, I kind of discovered over the years that most people in helping professions are the most broken people around. Those who are Doctors and counselors, and those who are pastors and ministers, are often the most spiritually and emotionally broken because they begin to say, If I can just help somebody else, I can fix myself. But see, friends, if you're here, if you're in mission or on mission to fix yourself by fixing others, not only do you not fix yourself, you mess everybody up. Listen to me on this. If the goal in life is responsiveness from people, or the goal in life is for people to like you, then everybody can block your goal. Everybody can frustrate you. Everybody can make you upset and make you think you didn't do a good job. It's a fascinating thing that, on the one hand, I had a people-pleasing spirit, but on the other hand, I have this prophetic, annoying, prophetic edge. Where without even trying, I step on people's toes and then I mash them and I mash them and I mash them. And then I wonder, why are you unhappy with me at this moment? And it wasn't until I began to realize the goal of the mission of Jesus in my life was me to be so healed, so filled, so flowing with his joy in me that my goal wasn't that you like me or or to use you as an agenda to, in order to fix myself but rather that out of his love for me i would love you intensely Amen. i would love you because you see once you get that right nobody can stop you some people can make it harder for you cuz some people need you know or extra grace required people But no one can keep you from loving them. See, this is the intensity of what Jesus is saying. He's saying you're not from the world. The world's not always going to like you. It doesn't matter, though, he says, I've sent you into that world, but not of that world. The source of your mission, the source of your joy, the source of your fulfillment, the source of your love is not a superficial, circumstantial source. It is a fountain that flows from heaven. Jesus says, I give you water from which you never will thirst again. But he doesn't just say that. He also says, I'm the well, and I give you me. (laughs) Are you with me on that? And when you encounter people, I'll just, just this one little aside. When you encounter people that say, that say to you, you guys should not be trying to convert people. You guys should not be trying to save people. They themselves are on mission. It's just different from yours. They're trying to convince and convert you. So it is often a lie of people saying, I'm not on mission. You shouldn't be on. Yes, everyone is on mission. The distinction is this who sent you? This is why sentness becomes essential in the mission. See, in in many ways, what we're talking about here, for some reason it gets stuck on. There it is. Okay. Actually, I want to go to this one. In many ways, what we're talking about here is. Is this beautiful, beautiful aspect that once you get yourself aligned with the true mission of your life, which is what you were made for, you will experience a joy unspeakable. You will experience satisfaction and fulfillment. For there are many people that their mission is to experience joy. But if your mission is to experience joy, you won't experience joy. You'll have temporary happiness followed by incredible lows. You'll have ecstasy uh, uh, followed by depression. But when you begin to say, I'm on mission, and, and you realize the one who sent me changes not. His mind is made up. He's convinced. He's been doing this for all these years Jesus himself says to his Father in this prayer, I have accomplished what you've given me to do. Guess what? If you get on mission with him at the end of your life, your prayer will be, Father, I have accomplished what you have given me to do. And you know what you'll hear from your Father? Well done. He'll probably say it in King James. Thou good and faithful servant. I am convinced you'll say it to me in King James because that's what I learned it in. And when I hear it in my head, I always hear, thou good and faithful servant. Some of you are still going, what's thou? It's the old form of you. Somehow it just sounds elevated to me. You know, it's like he's lifting me up. Me knowing who I am, him lifting me up and saying, because you got my mission. See, okay, now you've got to understand what I mean. It means your life is no longer initiated by you. It means that you are responding in everything that you're doing to the mission the Father has for you, to the mission the Son has for you, to the mission the Spirit empowers you. you see, when you run off and say, I'm going to do this, that's not a person on mission. That's a person who's trying to get God on mission with you. There's nothing more frustrating than to try to convince God to get on your mission. One, he's not going to do it. Two, it's your pride that's in the way. And it's three, it's an evidence of the brokenness of your trust mechanism. That says, I will only find happiness in life if I do it my way. Now, I want to I illustrate this with a, a kind of the, what I would say is the way you were made. There's, a, there's a, a hole in your heart that can only be filled by mission. You were made for this. Little kids get this from, from the time they're very little. They begin to realize that, that if you ask a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? Not a, very many of them say, I'd like to be an office worker. I'd like to be a drone for some company. What do they say? I want to be a fireman. I want to save people. I want to be a policeman. I want to protect people. I want to be Batman. <laughs> I'm, I'm cracking up watching uh, Gabe and Ashley, their third child, little Gabe. He thinks he's Batman. Batman. He wants to save the world. You know, now all he's got is Batman pajamas. And one day he's going to wake up and say, that's not the Batmobile, that's a Toyota van. And that's a sad day. It's a sad day when you go, all I got is a van, I don't have the Batmobile. But there's something in us that says, I was made to change the world. Amen. Even when you're a little kid, it gets beaten out of us. We forget about it. Now, there are some of us, some of you are a little bit older than me. A lot of you are not, but uh, <laughs> but some of you are a little older than me. And you'll remember in the 60s, particularly with boomers, uh, baby boomers in the 60s, there was the thought that we could continue the idea that we were made to change the world. Lisa's been laughing at me I have this music program on my phone that plays. I can play all these old oldies, and she goes, you are old. <laughs> and I'm listening to all this stuff, and, and she never really got into the folk scene like I did. Oh, but I love those harmonies and those words and those acoustic guitars and the way they play. I still cry when I listen to them, and some tingle goes up my back when I listen to that stuff. But if you listen... It's grown people saying we could change the world. If you listen like to Peter, Paul, and Mary, if I had a hammer, if I had a hammer, you know, it's it's just saying if I just had a hammer, I could change the way the world is. And what happened? There was nothing, nothing but beauty in that. There was something of the nobility of the human spirit in that. It's because they didn't couple it with the absolute of the word of God and the absolute of the mission of God. They, they, they began to believe that, that a worldview that was relativistic could work somehow The message that came forth is the most important thing is that you be happy. The ultimate value is your own personal happiness. Here's the problem. If your ultimate mission is to make yourself happy, what will you sacrifice in order to make yourself happy? What will you endure? You'll endure nothing because if it makes you unhappy, you can't endure it. So when you marry, you marry to be happy. Any of you that are married know marriage is hard. There are days when that wife or husband doesn't make you happy. They make you the opposite of happy. So when you realize, oh, this isn't making me happy, let's trade this in for a newer model. (laughs) So the value isn't my mission in my marriage. The value is make me happy. You understand what happens then? When it comes to anything where there's where there's sacrifice, where there's cost, where you don't see immediate gratification. Well, if the high value is that I'm I'm happy. You've lost your mission. Here's the thing in, in exaggerating our significance. We've actually lost significance. It's when you are connected to something that is greater than you a greater power, a greater cause. And, and, and the only way that cause really matters is if it's rooted and grounded in the glory of God. You know, this, the causes that people are living for today are not causes that are worth their lives. So even though they give themselves to these causes, they still are as empty and unsatisfied because it is a relativistic happiness. Whereas what Jesus is giving to you in this, he says, if you get this idea of sentness, then wherever the Father sends you and whatever the Father asks of you, out of it will flow in you rivers of living water. Out of it will be a joy unspeakable. Not because the thing you're asking you to do will give you joy, it might even give you pain. It is because it is the joy of the Lord. That is my strength. Jesus is is saying, as you go on mission, you go in my joy. See, if I'm just doing my own thing, that thing has to give me joy. There's not a thing on this earth that can give you lasting joy. It can give you temporary distraction. It can stimulate your flesh, but it cannot satisfy your spirit. You see, because everything on earth points back to the creator. Even the fact that I experience such love in my marriage only tells me there is a God. Because my wife is not that God. She is the one through whom God lavishes love upon me, and therefore it requires that I... Give the glory to him for the love I receive from my wife. If I begin to make her the source of that love, I make her an idol. And then I begin to criticize and judge and condemn my idol. Because it's not being the God I want it to be. You See, there is, there is for us the ability, friends, to be true radicals. We do have a hammer. We do have justice. We do have freedom. We do have mercy. It is not merely the relief from a bad marriage that we have. We have a God who can bring good marriages into fruition. We have a God who can transform families into places of refuge. We have a God who can take the sick and make them well, take the dead and make them live. We have a God who, with whom nothing is impossible. But you've got to be in alignment with his mission. Many times what's going on in your life is to get your attention so you'll realize you're off track. And instead of running to that which will continue to keep you off track and keep you feeling empty and unfulfilled and ashamed and guilty, stop right where you are and go, I wasn't made for this. I was made for him. It's only as I begin to live out of that place of my mission that I begin to understand the joy that there is in the mission now, Pedro, would you advance it one Thank you. The power for this is clearly experiencing god it's in an encounter with the living God there's no other there's no other thing that can make you into this missional person or this person with sentness other than actually encountering the living God. Now, a couple of biblical illustrations of this. The first, first one that I want to refer you to is the illustration with Isaiah. Think about this. Isaiah was going to the temple. He was surprised he met God there. Some of you sometimes are surprised on Sunday because you come here and you meet God here. <laughs> but he went to the temple. He met God there. And upon meeting God, this otherwise righteous man, who looked like he had all things together, this righteous man fell on his face in the presence of God and said, Woe is me. I'm a man undone. Then the scripture says that there was this fire, this this coal, this fire, which fire, usually in the Old Testament, refers to the manifest presence of God, the holiness of God, the glory of God. It's it's God being manifest in the prior. Fire. But in this case, I am thinking that it especially is the love of Jesus, the hot-burning love of Jesus for his people. And he, he drew this extraordinary moment and said, I have a burning desire to love on my people. So he took Isaiah, you know, it was, it, Isaiah said, I have an unclean lips from a people of unclean lips, and he took that burning coal of his love and he put it on Isaiah and he justified him and he made him holy, he made him righteous. Now, that alone would be an awesome Sunday morning. But it didn't stop there. Then God starts to talk about the mission. And he says, Look, I've got a people down there. They don't listen, they don't understand, they're not responding. Who will go for us? Guess who volunteered? He didn't say, let me think about this for a while. He had had an encounter with God. He himself had encountered the burning hot coals of the love of Jesus. And he was forever changed. And he said, let me go. They're not going to listen to you. I want to go. They're not going to understand what you're saying. I want to go. See, when you have an encounter with God, it becomes undeniable. Undeniable. I got to tell. I got to do. I got to go. One of the other stories, Abraham. Abraham encountered God. It was powerful. Abraham, God found himself in covenant with God. God drew him out and said, I'm making a covenant with you. And listen, when he, he says, I will bless you. All of us would say, oh, awesome, God. Great. Bless me. Why don't you say it right now? Let's see, practice it. All right. Come on. Say it. Ready? Bless me. Okay, not just sneeze, bless you, but bless me. All right? What's the requisite for that blessing? It says, and you will be a blessing to everyone else. What is he saying? What is God saying? God's saying he has to withhold blessing from you till you no longer hoard blessing for you. He has to withhold blessing from you until you no longer hoard blessing for you. You have to recognize the money you have is not just to pay your mortgage, but to advance the kingdom. That the gifts you have and the talents you have are not just to make you popular in your social circle, but to destroy the works of the devil. That you are here to seek and to save those that are lost and to give yourself freely for that And as you do that, the blessings will pour out on you. You want to know why our blessings are so paltry and impoverished? Because we think they're ours. We think we deserve them, that we're entitled to them. Instead of recognizing, I am being given so that I can give. You want to see your money multiplied? Give it away. You want to see your talents extended and soar? Then begin to use them for something more than yourself. Begin to say, all I have is for the mission of Jesus. Well, he didn't stop with Abraham there. He says, I'll make you a blessing. You'll bless others. And then he says, now get out of here. He said, Leave everything that's familiar to you. Put yourself in a vulnerable place. Make yourself where everything's a risk. I mean, there's some sense in which, if you're going to be serious about this, you have to hear the Spirit saying, Get out. Get out of the rut. Get out of the comfort zone. Get out of your safety. Go where you haven't been. Make yourself vulnerable. See, as long as you can do it, you don't need power from on high. It's when you are where you are scared that you will see the power that you never saw before begin to extend itself, embrace you and carry you where you cannot go on your own. Is this making sense to you? The last part is this and. Getting close to running out of time, so I'll do this quickly. I had never noticed this before, but at the end of this passage that I read to you today, right sandwiched in the middle is the mission. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending them. But the verse before it and the verse after it, you can see it on your worship folder. The verse before it, sanctify them in the truth. In other words, make them holy. Your word is truth. And then after it says, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. We live in a day where the message and how pretty the message is really doesn't matter. How well we constructed, how persuasive we are, is not really that effective. What people are looking to say, are you a hypocrite? Is it real in you? I teach a preaching class at uh, seminary and I I was sharing with my students that 20 years ago you focused on the interpretation of the Bible and you spent most of your time interpreting the scriptures for people. Now you spend 70% of your time applying the scriptures to people. Because people want to know, does this work? How does this get into my life? How does this change my life? But what they want to know probably more than anything else has been, in my experience, has been, is the messenger in alignment with the message? See, when I was growing up, you could have a pastor who was who was horrible, awful, broken, completely dysfunctional, but as long as he had a nice message, everybody was okay with that. The pastor I grew up with had numerous affairs. He, every time he could have an affair, the, the The denomination I was part of would just move him to another city. But he was a great preacher. So he always had a job. I'm thankful that this is a day in which every one of us, the message is the messenger, and the messenger is the message. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying one of the reasons we're so ineffective is because we're not as holy as our message, we're not as healed as our message. We're not as whole as our message. This is a day, friends, one for you. For me, if, 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 if you're getting what I'm saying today, what I hear him saying is, look, all the counterfeit mission in your life, let them go. Having the bigger house, having a better car, whatever clothes you have, let it go. It, it will not fulfill you. But there's a mission that you were made for. I mean, it's better than Batman. But you also have to be that person who's actually encountered the God who's sending you on the mission. He didn't just come to change your behavior. He is replacing your heart. He's restoring your spirit. He doesn't just want to be in heaven. He wants to be in your heart. And then He wants... wants To move in your life from the inside out. A lot of times when I'm just listening to the Lord for people, I hear him say this. Will you let me operate from the inside out? And I've often heard him say, if you give me an inch, I'll take a mile. If You just can open it up a little. Just a little and say, consecrate me. Sanctify me. Make me holy. Make me whole again. It's amazing what he will do. Would you stand with me? For many years in this sanctuary, we were oriented that way, and uh, the reason we changed the orientation is we could get more chairs in this way, and we like the intimacy of this, and and the Gabe needed a bigger stage, I guess. <laughs> Today, I'd like you to orient your life that way. So I'm going to ask you to turn physically to that cross. My, uh, my friend and our elder, Frank Chan, said, when you look up at that cross, would you look not only at the cross, but would you look at that, that piece of cloth over the cross? This morning, uh, Frank was saying... The Lord was speaking to him that that's the servant, that's a servant's cloth, that whatever is needed, that cloth, if if you're bleeding, you put that cloth on to stop the bleeding. If you're if you're cold, you put that cloth on to make you warm. If you if you're, you know, if you're dirty and you're road weary, you take that cloth and you cleanse yourself. He had this picture that the Lord Jesus was moving among us in the sanctuary and he was touching you with a cloth with what you needed for day to heal your heart, to cleanse your soul, to change your weariness into dancing, to take your mourning and to turn it into singing. But he had this second thing, and I I see it myself now. Is Jesus is giving you the cloth that he's used to clean you up? He's giving you the cloth that stopped the bleeding in your life, the cloth that he used to hold you when you shook through the withdrawals, and the the cloth that he used to clothe your nakedness, and the cloth that and he's saying, take my cloth to your friends. Take my cloth to your family, take my cloth to your co-workers, to strangers. This is my mission. You will be fulfilled in this. You will be satisfied in this. And at the end of your life, you will pray my prayer and you will hear the Father say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you will give the cloth to someone else. As we face that cross, would you let go of all these other things that you've had in your hands and when you take up the cloth that Jesus used to heal you and to serve you. Would you say it with me? Lord, I take up your cloth. Now you may say that, that's an unusual thing. I think it's a prophetic image. Many of us in this room, we've taken up the cross. We know what it is to live in grace and mercy. But to take up the cloth means that out of the cross I will serve. That one of my highest values will be to love by serving such a clear picture to me. Would you receive it? Say, Lord, I'm taking up the cloth that you have used. When I was cold, you made me warm. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was dirty, you cleansed me. You served me, now I will serve you. Lord, we receive this now in Jesus' name. Uh, if I could ask the prayer ministers, would you come up? I, I feel some of you need to make a, a declaration of being on mission with Jesus today. Maybe you want to encounter God in a fresh way. We have some sweet people who want to just pray with you. Don't, don't leave the building till you've had a prayer and you've set this time apart. You've said, I, I want to be whole. I want to, I want to minister out of fullness. Come on and and pray with these, these folks. God bless you and have a great week. We'll see you next week.